Do you believe our universe is it? Is it possible there are other worlds beyond ours? Infinite universes? Infinite yous living infinitely different versions of your life? Is a you in another universe listening to a me in another universe? Does this podcast exist anywhere else in the multiverse? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who once had an existential meltdown after watching What the Bleep Do We Know? Questions about space and time, the universe, dark matter, time travel, and multiple universes really do turn my brain inside out. Even definitive facts about things we know for certain make me feel funny. But this week, I'm going to do my best to move through my discomfort as we take a trip into the universe of multiple dimensions with a set of stories that may just approach the divide between this reality and the ones next door. Imagine you're a fish swimming along in your underwater universe. As far as you know, the ocean is it. It's never even occurred to you that there is anything other than where you live. You're swimming along, minding your own, when out of nowhere, some alien creature that looks nothing like anything you've ever seen before drops into your universe from above, swims around, maybe scoops up a couple of your pals in its what the hell is that thing where its mouth is supposed to be? And then, just as quickly as it appeared, it bloops right back out of existence. What the hell was that? That thing was literally a being from another universe. And then, imagine you try to figure out where that thing came from, and you swim to the very outer edges of your universe and pop your head out of the barrier you never even knew existed before this moment, and you see a whole other universe that is completely different from your own. And then you realize you can't breathe. And you swim back to your buddies and you're like, holy shit, you are not going to believe what I just saw. And you try to explain that there's a whole separate universe up there with beings that somehow breathe air and exist in places where there isn't any water. And your fish friends are like, Bob, you're clearly under a lot of stress. Things at home aren't great. Shark attacks are up like a thousand percent. There seems to be less and less plankton to go around. Maybe you need to take it easy. Do some self-care. Try a kelp mask and find a nice hot air vent to chill at for a few days. That's how I am able to conceptualize the theory of multiple universes. They're there, we just can't comprehend them because it goes against everything we believe to be true about everything. Perception is part of it, something we often forget, and anyone who says they've crossed over is going to be treated like they're one cookie short of a knife set. If you think I can explain multiple dimensions or multiple universe theory, you clearly have never listened to another episode of this podcast. I am a fascinated observer of science, but for the most part, that's the extent of my involvement with anything sciencey. And once you start adding theoretical science into the mix, I start to black out. I literally once cried during a show at the planetarium because the concept of dark matter broke me. But if my Ocean as Universe thought experiment didn't do it for you, here's the simplest way I can explain this. We humans, and all animals on Earth as far as we know, basically experience the world in three dimensions, length, width, and depth. If it can be listed on an IKEA furniture tag, we can comprehend it. Swedish names like Fjallbo or Sakerkaka, notwithstanding. 
time is generally considered the fourth dimension. And there are no fewer than six more dimensions essentially beyond human perception. According to the blog Futurism.com, string theory explains that, quote, The fifth and sixth dimensions are where the notion of possible worlds arises. If we could see on through to the fifth dimension, we would see a world slightly different from our own that would give us a means of measuring the similarity and differences between our world and other possible ones, end quote. So, the sixth dimension is where other versions of ourselves exist. In those realities, you decided to go to law school instead of backpacking through Europe, or you didn't blow your 20s on cocaine and one-night stands, or you said yes to that marriage proposal. Quote, In the seventh dimension, you have access to the possible worlds that start with different initial conditions, whereas in the fifth and sixth dimensions, the initial conditions were the same and subsequent actions were different. Here, everything is different from the very beginning of time. The eighth dimension again gives us a plane of such possible universe histories, each of which begins with different initial conditions and branches out infinitely. That's why they are called infinities. End quote. So, seven and eight would be the universe above the ocean, very different from the universe inside the ocean, where things walk and fly instead of swim. Quote, in the ninth dimension, we can compare all the possible universe histories, starting with all the different possible laws of physics and initial conditions. In the tenth and final dimension, we arrive at the point at which everything possible and imaginable is covered. Beyond this, nothing can be imagined by us lowly mortals, which makes it the natural limitation to what we can conceive in terms of dimensions. End quote. TBH, that is all gobbledygook to me, so let's not linger there, lest we implode. This is all theoretical, of course, because no one has ever officially seen or experienced anything other than the first four dimensions. But my favorite theoretical physicist, Michio Kaku, claims that this is all based on real math and probabilities. The probability that these other dimensions, or timelines, or universes, or realities exist is very good. In other words, it's not just the stuff of pop culture. But pop culture is fun. From the Star Trek episode Mirror Mirror, in which the crew of the USS Enterprise finds themselves on an identical ship in an alternate universe where the Enterprise crew is a band of murderers and traitors, to Back to the Future, to the Marvel TV series Loki, where a yummy Tom Hiddleston finds himself in trouble with the Time Variant Authority for messing with the sacred timeline, we love stories about other possible us's. The TV series Stranger Things also features a parallel universe, or the Upside Down as it's called, though honestly, I watched the whole first season and the recap and still had no idea what the hell was going on. I do remember something about a portal between universes, which I'll mention because it's a good transition into today's stories. Portals, or gateways between dimensions, are the best possible explanation for how things can vanish into thin air. Assuming, of course, you believe that things can vanish into thin air. It actually never occurred to me before doing the research for this episode that something that vanishes might show up somewhere else. 
But of course that would have to be the case, right? Matter can't be destroyed. So just because we can't see it, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist anymore. Just like when your grandma died and your mom told you that the people we love never really leave and grandma will always be with you and she's in a better place. I don't know about all that. I don't know your grandma. She might have ended up in the bad place. And my guess is your grandma is scattered into billions of atoms and being shuffled around into things like other people, 50-inch flat-screen TVs, and a cheap IKEA coffee table. Possibly my understanding of matter is somewhat limited. Anyway, my point is portals. If multiple dimensions do exist, and if we can actually travel between them, it would look to us like people popping in and out of existence from one place to another. And that turns our exploration of this topic into something else. A search for where those portals are and how they've come to be. Scott, prepare to beam us up. The theory of multiple dimensions may seem like a modern-day concept, but one of the earliest alleged records of people traveling between dimensions comes from the 12th century in an account written by English historian William of Newburgh. Newburgh claimed he was reluctant to cover the story because of how unbelievable it was. He wrote, I have long been in doubt concerning the matter and deemed it ridiculous to give credit to a circumstance supported on no rational foundation, or at least one of a very mysterious character. Yet, at length, I was so overwhelmed by the weight of so many and yet competent witnesses that I have been compelled to believe and wonder over a matter which I was unable to comprehend or unravel by any powers of intellect. Thus compelled, Newberg goes on to tell a most extraordinary tale about two children, a girl and a boy, who, during the harvest one year, sometime between 1135 and 1154 BCE, seemingly materialized out of nowhere, emerging from an ancient pit in the town of Woolpit in East Anglia, Britain. The children were dressed in clothes not common to the people of East Anglia, made from foreign material, and they spoke in a language the locals could not understand. Even more strange, their skin was green. Despite being hungry, the children refused any food the locals brought to them. Newberg wrote, It happened that some beans were brought in from the field, which they immediately seized with avidity, and examined the stalk for the pulse, but not finding it in the hollow of the stalk, they wept bitterly. Upon this, one of the bystanders, taking the beans from the pods, offered them to the children, who seized them directly and ate them with pleasure. By this food they were supported for many months, until they learned the use of bread. At length, by degrees, they changed their original color through the natural effect of our food and became like ourselves and also learned our language. When the children learned their native language, they told their hosts, We are inhabitants of the land of St. Martin, who is regarded with peculiar veneration in the country which gave us birth. 
being further asked where that land was, and how they came thence hither, they answered, We are ignorant of both these circumstances. We only remember this, that on a certain day, when we were feeding our father's flocks in the field, we heard a great sound, such as we are now accustomed to hear at St. Edmund's, when the bells are chiming, and whilst listening to the sound in admiration, we became on a sudden, as it were, entranced, and found ourselves among you in the fields where you were reaping. The locals then asked the children if their people believed in Christ and had churches, which to me seems like a pretty low priority question for people who literally came from another universe. But you do you, ye oldie England. They then asked the children if the sun ever rises where they come from. The children, Newberg said, responded, The sun does not rise upon our countrymen. Our land is little cheered by its beams. We are contented with that twilight which among you precedes the sunrise or follows the sunset. Moreover, a certain luminous country is seen not far distant from ours and divided from it by a very considerable river. I'm no geographer, but it sounds to me like maybe these kids were from Norway. The children were baptized by their new friends in East Anglia because, of course, they were. And Newberg writes, The boy, who appeared to be the younger, surviving the baptism but a little time, died prematurely. Surviving the baptism? What the hell kind of baptizing was going on in ye olde England that one had to try to survive them? Waterboarding for Jesus? It's easy to write this account off as completely made-up folklore, but another nearly identical account came out independently 30 years later by an English chronicler named Ralph of Cogshall who, according to the blog Tales of Times Forgotten, lived only about 26 miles from Woolpit and heard the story directly from the man who had taken the green children in. The main differences in Cogshall's account are that it happened sometime in a 35-year period after Newberg's account, and the children had wandered into a cave in their land and found their way out of the cave by following church bells. When they emerged, they were in Woolpit. Also in Cogshall's account, the children claimed that where they came from, everything was green. Which, again, would have been a more interesting question than, do you have churches where you come from? And in this version, the girl lived as a servant for the family that took her in, which just seems excessively awful. Like, she came from a whole different universe, and your best use for her is as a servant? Not only that, but apparently the dude she worked for told Cogshaw that she was, quote, extremely lascivious and insolent. Uh-huh. Here's the thing about this story. People back in the 1100s believed some pretty wacky shit. For example, doctors thought that drinking the urine of their patients would reveal any imbalance in the four humors of the body. The four humors, in case you forgot, were defined as blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. Now, I'm no doctor, but I personally find nothing humorous about these four disgusting elements, and I think they should recast the four humors as the toots, funny bones, cankles, 
and the penis. I mean, after all, these four much funnier aspects of the human body have as much to do with actual medicine as the original four humors. But I digress. Turns out there's a condition called chlorosis that can lead to a green tint in the skin. It's caused by malnutrition and chronic overwork, which I'd venture to argue most children in medieval times were victims of. According to Brian Dunning of the Skeptoid blog, one theory is that the children may have run away from wherever they were from and spent some time hiding in the forest, leading to an iron deficiency that causes chlorosis. This would explain why their skin changed to a normal color once they began eating anything other than raw beans. Dunning points to a 1998 article by Paul Harris for 40 and Studies magazine that theorizes that the children were most likely Flemish, which might explain why they were speaking a language the people in Woolpit couldn't understand. There were, apparently, a lot of Flemish-speaking people in nearby Fornham St. Martin, which would account for the children saying they were from a place called St. Martin. What I don't understand about this, though, is if there were enough Flemish-speaking people living less than 10 miles from Woolpit, You'd think someone in Woolpit would have been like, oh yeah, my buddy Jim speaks this weird language. Then again, I guess it's possible that people in a village 10 miles from another might never in their whole lives go anywhere or see anything over five miles from their village, and it isn't like they were rocking the internet, or even an atlas. As far as they knew, over the village line was nothing but dragons and dangerous fairyland. But... If stories from medieval England don't get your motor running, how about one from this century? In 2001, Scott Corrales, author of the now-defunct blog Labyrinthina, wrote a story that supposedly came from a first-hand account from one Dr. Raul Rios Centeno, a dentist and doctor of oral surgery and so-called investigator of the unexplained in Lima, Peru. Someone had forwarded Rios Centeno's written account to Corrales. Rios Centeno wrote that a few months earlier, he was visited by a woman suffering from hemiplasia, paralysis of one side of the body. The patient claimed she'd lost her ID, but said she was 30 years old. Rios Centeno ran a computerized axial tomography test and found no evidence of injury that would account for the paralysis. The woman told him, I was at a campground in the vicinity of Markawasi, the famous stone forest located some 56 kilometers east of Lima, when I went out exploring late at night with some friends. Oddly enough, we heard the strains of music and noticed a small torchlit stone cabin. I was able to see people dancing inside, but upon getting closer, I felt a sudden sensation of cold, which I paid little attention to, and I stuck my head through an open door. It was then that I saw the occupants were clad in 17th century fashion, I tried to enter the room, but one of my girlfriends pulled me out. When she was pulled out, half her body was paralyzed. Rio Centeno goes on to explain that... Many Peruvians claim having had contact experiences in Marcahuasi, while many scholars indicate the existence of a dimensional doorway. No conclusive proof of this exists, of course. Some friends, myself, obviously, and others who have visited the stone forest can attest to the existence of a strange kind of energy. According to those persons having a knowledge of the subject, dimensional doorways tend to open and close not necessarily in specific places. The patient is currently undergoing physical rehabilitation in Lima's Arzobispo Loaiza National Hospital. 
I would bet that a good investigative journalist might be able to look into that last claim. The unanswered question is, of course, what would have happened if her body had entered completely into the stone cabin? Would she have gone into another dimension? I suppose the truth shall be known in the fullness of time. Rio Centeno claimed that no medical test could provide an answer for her paralysis, even though an electroencephalography, or EEG test, showed abnormal brain activity and electric waves. I'm no medical expert, but I'm willing to bet there might be some other explanation beyond she half-entered into another dimension and it paralyzed her. He continued... These tests lead me to believe, and this is my personal opinion since my colleagues have simply cataloged it as an unknown affliction, that the dimensional shift or partial entry of this person into this anomalous zone have been able to produce a change in the energy flow existing in her nervous system, or perhaps even a change in the type of energy. Given that the cranial area is where our nerve impulses are contained, in other words, the right cerebral hemisphere controls the left side of the body and vice versa, this could be the reason why the left-hand autonomous nervous system did not at all affect the operation of crucial organs such as the heart or the stomach, which are governed by the right cerebral hemisphere. Needless to say, there's really no way to verify this story except to maybe track the patient down. I found a Dr. Raul Rios Centeno of Lima, Peru online and emailed him. I'll let you know what I find out. I was able to find one other story about this stone cabin in the hills of Peru on Reddit. Posted three years ago, the story recounts a trip into the woods where this person claimed to have come upon a stone cabin with lively folk music playing inside. When they knocked on the door that had no doorknob, the music stopped, and a few seconds later, the door opened to an empty bar. There was another door behind the bar, but no one answered that one, and it was locked. The person left the bar and said when they looked back, the cabin was gone. Poof, as though it never existed. Not only that, but everything around them was now different. It was pitch black night, even though it was only noon. The rocks were different than they'd been before. They pulled out their phone only to find they had no service. And that's when shit got weird. I was about to put it back into my pocket when something caught my eye. My wallpaper had changed from the default to a photo of myself with a young woman who I didn't know. The date read August 15th, five months away from today. I looked down, my clothes had changed. I no longer was wearing a red tank top and beige shorts. Inexplicably, I was wearing a full pinstriped suit. This made absolutely no fucking sense. I was also holding a very heavy briefcase. I opened the briefcase. There was an M1911 pistol inside with several rounds and a note. The note read, follow the ochres. Kill the human prisoners. What the hell? In the distance, I saw movement. An inexplicable, overwhelming sense of dread took over, and I quickly jumped behind a thick tree and turned off the flashlight. I saw the creature move closer in my direction. It looked like a human, but it was made of wood. Oak wood. 
It was walking very slowly with arms bent at a strange angle. Behind it, I could detect more, many more. They all made groaning noises. The strange humanoid made its way toward one of the granite mounds on the left. It started digging around it, digging with its bare hands, with feral intensity. Its fellows behind it chose a mound each and began to dig. Once the holes were deep enough, the creatures jumped down into them, then absolute silence. This is where I am now, in a dark rainforest in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by these beasts. My only supplies are some cookies and a water bottle. I'm perspiring heavily in my suit. I see no way out unless I take the advice on the note. The most incredible thing about this story, as far as I'm concerned, is that this person was able to post to Reddit in the middle of the woods surrounded by Ents with no cell service. They promised to follow up with a part two. Super helpful that this universe had Reddit. But it seems perhaps they didn't survive the interdimensional spy thriller they'd found themselves in because they never posted a part two and their account has since been deleted. So, when it comes to real-life accounts of movement into and out of the multiverse, it seems that maybe we have not so much plausible, verifiable detail, but rather an Orson Welles-like desire to whip readers and followers up into a frenzy of belief. So maybe you're thinking, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Sure, people are probably caught off guard when they're flung into a parallel universe, so maybe they can't get photos. Though one does wonder why the Redditor in the Stone Forest at Markawasi didn't snap a couple pics. But in 2015, someone uploaded what they claimed was proof of a portal between our universe and another. On December 7th, 2015, the YouTube channel Section 51 posted a video of what looked like a vortex made out of clouds swirling low in the sky. A glowing disk approaches the vortex and then disappears into the center of it, whereupon the entire vortex vanishes and everything goes back to normal. Could that have been aliens who dropped into our universe for a visit before heading back home through a magical cloud vortex portal? To make matters weirder, the whole thing seemed to take place in the skies above the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva, where experiments are conducted to test the superstring theory that claims other dimensions do exist. Coincidence? I think not. The thing is, Section 51 is notorious for posting videos that are doctored, which this one almost definitely is. If there really had been a giant swirling cloud vortex that sucked up a glowing UFO, surely more than one person would have noticed this miracle of quantum physics happening in broad daylight and caught it on camera. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that interdimensional travel is theoretically possible. And maybe UFOs aren't from other solar systems, but rather other dimensions. And I'm not the only one who thinks that might be the case. In his book, Identified Flying Objects, a multidisciplinary approach to the UFO phenomenon, published in 2019, author and professor of biological anthropology Michael Masters argues that given the rate at which our technology is advancing— 
it's likely that our descendants in the not-too-distant future will be able to visit the past, or rather, our present. In May of 2020, buried by news about the pandemic, a bevy of headlines went by that NASA had possibly discovered evidence of a parallel universe in Antarctica. The original article came from LiveScience.com in January of 2020, titled Mysterious Particles Spewing from Antarctica Defy Physics, and had zero mention of a parallel universe. What it did mention was that scientists had discovered particles behaving in a way that couldn't be explained using the laws of physics as we understand them. And then on April 8, 2020, New Scientist magazine published an article entitled we may have spotted a parallel universe going backwards in time. And then the Daily Mail turned that headline into NASA scientists detect parallel universe next to ours where time runs backwards. And then people started tweeting shit like, so NASA just discovered evidence of a parallel universe? BRB while I go scream. And this since deleted Facebook post. So no one is going to talk about how NASA discovered evidence of a parallel universe to ours where time runs backwards and its laws of physics are opposite to ours? Okay. Nope. No one is going to talk about that because it didn't happen. Let's all remember to read the article before commenting. I'm going to side with my buddy Stephen Hawking and scientist crush Michio Kaku, who are both arguably way smarter than me, and say that I believe in the possibility that other universes exist. But even if we discover that there are multiple universes, the chances of actually being able to deliberately visit them are probably slim. Like our friend Bob the Fish, we would likely find conditions that don't support our way of life. And if we somehow manage to go there and back without being harmed, who would believe us anyway? These days, in the age of rapid media, where news stories go from scientists find particles they don't understand to they're hiding the truth from us in the span of a few months, it's hard to tell what's real and what's made up. For my part, I'd love to switch over to a universe where facts are just facts and maybe where social media only exists on Thursdays or something, like Must See TV used to, except for this podcast. It's available for your listening pleasure round the clock. In my perfect alternate universe, there's no frisé in salads, and I always have enough energy to write a script and do the chores and still hang out with my family. Oh, and I have a pocket wormhole generator so I can travel without paying a fortune, removing my shoes, or waiting in the security line at the airport. I'm sure you have your own version of a perfect alternate universe that you'd like to jump into, too, and it's probably not at all like mine. I get it. But let's be honest, any universe we exist within can't be a perfect utopia because we, humans, are the common denominator and we have shown time and time again, over many millennia, that we can muck anything up. So we know, without a shadow of a doubt, that we would screw every universe up one way or another. It might not be climate change, but it might be electing Kylie Jenner queen or something equally as destructive. Still, we also created music and art and fine dining and swimming pools, so we always have that going for us in this universe and hopefully beyond. 
Next time on Strange and Unexplained, we'll take a trip to Stull, Kansas to see if the devil really does visit a local cemetery each year or if the evil really comes from earthbound visitors being a little devilish. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for something we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Becca Gregorio and Natalie Grillo. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and researched by Jess McKillop. Our audio editor and mixer is Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Ryan Garcia, Lauren Hooper, Andrea Jones-Sojola, and Luther Creek. Our social channels are run and managed by Amy Sapp. A complete list of our sources for each episode is available on our website. If you like our show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUpod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained with Daisy Egan Facebook group to join in the conversation. Also, join me Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern on Instagram Live for a live chat.